The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more. We are live. Welcome to the Clean Power Hour Live. I'm Tim Montague, your co-host. Today is October 20th, 2022, bringing you the latest in solar, wind, and energy storage news. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Weaver, the commercial solar guy. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Tim. Uh, I hope uh, hope the weather is nice where you are. I'm uh, officially starting to cool off a tiny bit in mass. I know that's a lame start, but today on my bike, when I rode in, I forgot to bring something warm. And so I've been thinking about it all morning. I start wearing a jacket in the morning. But, uh, you know, more importantly, though, like multiple places on Earth ran on 100% renewables or 100% solar this week. And I know you noticed it in Greece. I just wanted to bring it up because... I always think it's really cool when a power grid somewhere around the world is running 100% on clean electricity. And it happened in two places in, you know, headliney manners. So I just want to bring that up. Well, one of those places was not Illinois, although I just got off a uh, interview with Anthony Starr, the former director of the IPA. And we now have 1.5 gigawatts of solar in Illinois. It's only just over a, uh, a percent or two of our grid, but it's huge progress. So what besides Greece, though, is the place that's 100% powered by renewable energy? Well, South Australia was actually 100% powered by solar for nice. on Sunday from uh, 10 a.m. until um, 4 p.m. And the coolest piece about it, and the, the article is about the third one down, if you wanted to share an image, there's a great image in that article. Um, but the coolest piece about it is that the uh, solar there was 90 plus percent rooftop solar. Mm. And and so if you look at that chart, it breaks it out into utility scale solar and rooftop solar um, in South Australia. And it's just just a nice looking chart. It's like, you know, that's that's what we want to see. That's where we need the world to be. And um, just a great chart. So, yeah. I, oh, here uh, we go. Yeah. Yeah, that's it right there. <clears throat> Let me see if I can make that bigger. No, it's maxed out. But uh yeah, they've got a great duck curve going on there, it looks like. Um and uh, it, yeah, it if if a if a relatively small place can do it, uh a big place can do it, right? Yes, Australia is a small country, but um 20 million people. What is the population of Australia? It's, it's I think not it's in the thirties. It's, it's low thirties, 32 to 34 yeah. million, I believe. Yeah. Um, and they're an early adopter and um, kudos to Australia for doing it. Great solar resources, of course. And, but that is a, that is a misunderstanding about solar. Solar works even in Northern places here in the, in the upper Midwest, it works. It works in Germany, which is the same as Canada. It works in Norway. You just have to tilt the panels differently. You got to tip them up. 
but anyway, yeah, it's coming. 100% solar wind and batteries is coming for a grid near you. And um, it's good for jobs. It's good for the economy. It's good for the future of humanity. There's really nothing to love, uh, to not like, sorry, about solar wind and storage. Uh, is there anything else about this story in Australia that you want to point out for us? I really, I actually, I wanted to say it after you talked about the Greece story that you found, because uh, I saw that as well. Uh, I didn't really pay attention to the Greece one as much, but when I saw it on our document of stories, I was like, oh yeah, that's so awesome. Multiple countries, multiple places around the world. Uh, it's really just a headline number at this point, because there's no hard details on the South Australia, anything special on it. Uh, well, one interesting thing, actually. Uh, they did still have gas running, uh, but its electricity was being modeled as it was being sold to a different region, and they kept it running for grid stability purposes. And so that's something interesting to think about. There was a lot of wind, there was a lot of solar, and uh, and the gas, though, the hardware, the spinning mass was kept running for grid services purposes. So that's something that might occur, or we might have what are called synthetic uh uh, units that are like literally just big pieces of metal that spin just like they were being spun by a turb in a turbine um, from burning coal or fossils, except these are spun via electricity. And uh, so, you know, they're, we're evolving and, and it's cool to watch in Australia as they do it because they touch a hundred percent regularly. There's a couple different grids, Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, and they do interconnect, but they uh, they run differently. And but it's it's interesting to watch because different regions in South Australia and Australia do things differently. And it's just like the states, the United States. We have our regions that are uniqueish. They have a similar thing going on there. And you know, hundred percent is cool. So yeah, I think the the spring and the fall are really the the windows where we'll see this phenomenon happening. Right here's the story on screen from NPR. Greece says its entire electrical grid ran on 100% renewables for the first time. Um, that story was from October 13th, and it was reporting from an October event a few days earlier. But so Greece has been weaning itself off of fossil fuels. And of course, all of Europe wishes it was doing this post haste because of the energy crisis that is going on. Energy prices are spiking 10x in Europe because of the war and other uh, it's a combination, the war and COVID and supply chain issues. And um, so, you know, the sun does shine every day and the wind does blow most days. And so if you can put your grid on wind and solar and batteries, you need energy storage. Um, and there's many ways to store that energy. Uh, you and I talk mostly about batteries, but there's all kinds of energy storage. And um Check out our episode on Rondo Energy, a heat battery for industrial heat. Uh, I'm very fond of this product and uh, solution because industrial heat is a huge carbon footprint, just ginormous, upwards of 40%. Um, and, um, and it's not an easy one to solve, but build a big wind farm, build a big solar farm and store that energy in a heat battery and you can make steel and you can make food processing and chemicals and anything you need industrial heat for. So it's coming and it's um, it's very good. So you mentioned uh, different types of batteries. Uh, 
I got an email this morning from the Department of Energy and Resources of Massachusetts, Dewar, Dower, however you want to call it, D-O-E-R. And, uh, and the email said, uh, we are seeking comments, seeking meetings on long duration energy storage in the state of Massachusetts and trying to do some research on it, if it's a uh, tool that they're going to need. And so I, uh, I have an interview soon to write about with ESS that I had at the solar conference. And that was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, long duration energy storage might become something. Um, at a minimum, there's some states asking for it. And uh, I don't know if you saw, well, I mean, this is a headline show, but there was a 60 megawatt hour long duration energy storage project that got funding in California this past week. So it's... Uh, you know, there's, there's, it's evolving. The energy storage game is evolving right now, so it's interesting to watch. Is that the, uh, yeah? What, what story is that? Is that on the docket? That sixty megawatt hour one? No, but I'll go find it. I should okay. put it on the dock. I can't. Well, I want to. I want to um, put it on the dock. Maybe. Sure. You know, um, Bloomberg NEF had a story which I'm going to put on screen here. Um, new Bloomberg NEF analysis projects rapid growth in global battery storage capacity through 2030. Now, this is not shocking news to you and I, John, but this is very good news for the energy storage market in general. Uh, let me get this on screen. And, you know, um, Michael Liebrick created Bloomberg NEF. He's uh, featured in Tom Warrick's new book, we took the risk, which I'll be uh, covering here on the show with Tom Warrick of EDPR. But um, recent policy developments in the US and European Union represent a considerable uplift to the prospects of global energy storage deployment. And they go on to say that by the end of 2030, cumulative installations worldwide will reach 411 gigawatts or 1,194 gigawatt hours, so a three hour on average uh, battery. That's considerably higher than Bloomberg predicted in November of last year when, it when its forecast stood at 358 gigawatts or 1,000 gigawatt hours. So that number has gone up by, uh, gosh, um, a healthy chunk, 60 gigawatts. And it's just so, uh, you know. I think it's very logical, right? And 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 I think you're 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 in this uh, camp, John. When you have lots of renewables, you need lots of storage. The storage is a sponge; it can absorb extra energy when there's extra energy coming off the wind farm or the solar farm, and then it can inject solar and in, uh, inject energy into the grid on demand instantaneously. There's no ramp up with a battery, right? That's why it's such a lovely solution. Um, and we have the technology. We just need to build more gigafactories to make these batteries. I mean, that is a limiting factor. And um, the race is on the global uh, lithium mining, et cetera. And it's, just, it's not just lithium, but a lot of it is going to be lithium for the foreseeable future. If you look at the next story you had on the document, which you had up here uh, after Bloomberg, uh, the climate law IRA spurs big jumps in U.S. battery investments. So we yes. are pushing it. We are pushing it now. Um, there's huge volumes that I've seen. There's a, 
a document from the Fed that came out a few weeks ago, and we may have covered it last week, but uh, or a couple weeks ago, or or not, but uh, came from from the Fed and said there's a battery belt forming in the South uh, that lines up with all the car manufacturing facilities. And really, if you look in you know in Illinois and Ohio, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, there's there's like ten. Uh, I think the Fed document said there were fifteen battery uh, facilities under development. And uh, they were representing like $40 billion in investment for those structures and putting all that in there. So that's, you know, it's happening. The battery manufacturing is coming. Uh, when I was speaking with ESS, they were speak- saying that their manufacturing is somewhere like 25 megawatts a year of capacity. And they need to get it up to 200 megs real fast. So that Who they can that? start to get ESS. That's the uh, iron, iron flow battery. Oh, ESS. Um, ESS Inc. Yes. Got it. And so they were talking about scaling their manufacturing facilities. So I wouldn't be surprised if we heard an announcement from them. Uh, In my article, I get to talk about some of their growth plans, but those are probably already public uh, type of uh, growth plans. But we may hear something big about some factories coming. And, you know, IRA is pushing it. The Inflation Reduction Act, the the IRA or the IRA, as some people call it, um, is providing a incentive for uh, well a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit for electric vehicles, but they can only but consumers can only receive the full amount if the car's battery components are manufactured in North America. So. That is a huge challenge, but obviously a huge opportunity, right? And today we don't have a lot of battery manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, I would venture, I don't, I don't know exactly what that number is, but I would venture that 80% of it is in Asia. <laughs> and, um, but these factories are, are, are jobs and economic growth, and why not? onshore this manufacturing, right? It's a both end. We want batteries, we want EVs, we want um, solar panel manufacturers. I'm hopefully going to go to Minnesota next week to visit the Hellion Solar Factory that they've been building. And um, homemade solar panels are such a sweet thing. We, 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 We want as much onshoring as possible. Um, so when I wonder if a battery cell is recycled, does that count as domestic? So if you, if you get the battery, the car blows up, you know, let's just say it was a fully made in Germany car. So not IRA eligible, um, you know, it's a Mercedes, an electric Mercedes, but then the battery, you know, the car gets an accident, they recycle the battery fully. And then the battery comes from a recycling facility in Alabama. And then it goes into the battery manufacturing plant somewhere, you know, in the South. Is that I don't see why counts? not, right? As long as, it's a, as long as it's a new product, what goes into it, whether that's raw lithium or a recycled product. In fact, we should give an extra incentive for them to repurpose the lithium, uh, the broken battery, right? Or the used battery, um, because we don't want that stuff to get landfilled. Uh, not that it is easily landfilled. Uh, certainly in most jurisdictions, but recycling is extremely important and a sensitive topic. And one that 
consumers are concerned about, right? That is one of the main concerns when I'm talking about electrification of transportation. People say, Tim, well, we're going to fill up our landfills with batteries. This is going to be an environmental disaster. And I'm going, well, the 800 gigatons of carbon in the atmosphere is an environmental disaster and a human health disaster and a future of humanity disaster. So we have to walk that back. And yes, lithium is one of the answers. And we have to uh, we have to laud J.B. Straubel for creating Redwoods, Redwood Energy or Redwood Systems, whatever his company is called. Um, he's obviously a very smart dude hanging out with Elon, making Tesla a successful company and now getting into battery recycling. I mean, it must have been hard to leave Tesla. He, that that could have uh, well, it probably did make him a very very wealthy man, um, but he's obviously got a bigger vision for humanity, right? Because we are going to be recycling a large quantity of these materials. You know, speaking of recycling, your very I, the very next article below you is one that I found. It's a new re- recycling facility opening in Alabama. Um, it's one above the one you're looking at. Uh, and oh, Alabama, yeah. And uh, and it's in the recy- in the battery belt. Uh, this company now with this facility, I think, has enough battery recycling to do about fifty thousand cars a year, or it was ten thousand tons. I can't remember. But uh, so it's there are people chasing the battery recycling uh, world right now aggressively, and um, it's not a uh, it's not a um, a limited thing either. Um, I can't remember who I saw it from, but it was a battery recycling um, analyst. And he said, okay, here's a list of all the companies and all the capacity of people that want to recycle batteries. And here's their factories and here's their business plans and here's their launch. And, you know, some of them are public and, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're raising money and doing business. And, And when you look at it, you can see the capacities and you're like, millions of tons of battery recycling capacity per year. And they just had this cool chart and it showed like, and then it broke it down into different companies and all their warehouses. And, you know, you got this, this bar chart going out and the numbers like way over here and it fills up a page. And then they do another chart and they lay it over. And the other chart is amount of projected batteries available to recycle. And so you have your battery fact recycling chart, like filling up the whole screen. But the projected availability starts off at like zero because, you know, last year there was none. And even after like 10 years, it's one quarter, one half, one fifth of the projected total battery volume that might be available. So the reality is, Tim, no, we're not going to have batteries in landfills. In fact, there's going to be so much demand for batteries that we're going to oversupply battery recycling. And we're actually going to have battery recycling companies go out of business because there's so much demand that multiple people are clamoring in and trying to get in there. And they're going to over uh, oversize the battery recycling. In fact, it's going to be an interesting industry to watch, I think, because there's a lot of people who were hoping for cheap battery recycling. There's other people who are hoping for end of life battery so that they could reuse it. So second life, second purpose batteries. And now I'm, I'm, 
I'm interested to watch. Um, like at one point, uh, Musk said that it would be uh, better to get rid of old cars and old technology and recycle their batteries to put them into newer, more modern batteries that are more efficient, uh, that get better mileage. And so I've heard, you know, I've heard that end of life batteries won't be worth it because the new tech that comes out when in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years, it's just going to blow them out. So I don't know what to expect uh, of what's going to come from the battery world, but I do, or from the leftover battery world. But what I do know is that right now there are far more people lining up to recycle batteries than there are projected batteries to be recycled. Well, shout out to Peter Johnson, the author of this story in Electrek. If you're not familiar with Electrek, Electrek with a K at the end, dot com, great, or dot co, sorry, great website for electrification of transportation. And the stat here that grabs my attention is that 50% of new car sales are going to be pure EV by 2030. And um, so while today we just, in 2022, we passed the 5% mark. And we've got another story about EV, uh, the EV market in the U.S. because Tesla just released their Q3 results, and it is mind-boggling how dominant um, Tesla is in the U.S. market. But uh, great future for electrification of transportation, and yeah, only five percent of new car sales today are EV, but that's just going to start ticking to ten, to twenty, to thirty and then to 50 by 2030. And I would not be surprised if it if it hits 50% sooner than 2030. Um, the ICE engine is gonna go bye-bye. There's more moving parts in an ICE engine car. And so it is gonna be non-economical. That is why consumers are gonna make the shift to EVs because they're gonna be more economical. And many of these EVs are gonna be million mile cars. And so we're gonna be able to repurpose the vehicle. They're gonna have a much longer life which is great, right? Because that's a lot of material, a lot of steel and aluminum and glass and batteries. Um, and so we'll need fewer cars. And that's not even counting the whole robo taxi trend that is gonna happen then as well. Now, will that happen in two years or 10 years? Nobody knows. Elon is sticking to his guns that it's gonna happen next year, but he's been saying that for five years. But yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to I do want to put this story about about Tesla. Um, yep. Next can, story on the document. If I can find it, yeah. Oh, use uh, yeah, EV sales. Here's how U.S. electric vehicle sales at, by maker and EV model through Q3 2022 compare. Right. Yeah. Share that graph. Show us that graph. And showed me that graph and it's so big. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, so here's the graph. First of all, <laughs> yeah. the Model Y is now the number one selling pure EV in, in, in the United States. 190,000 cars they've sold Model Ys in 2022. It eclipsed the Model 3, which is right there. It's at 140,000, I think. And then those two cars alone are greater volume than all the other EVs combined. And, and there is another uh, Tesla there, the Model X is there and the S. Um, so Tesla is just a hand over fist kicking butt. The next closest is the Ford Mach-E at a measly 
I want to say 20,000. Um, where's the Ford Mach-E? Yeah, 28,000. They've sold 28,000 Mach-E's. That's the next most popular vehicle. That's 14% of the Model Y sales. Uh, and I mean, kudos to the makers for getting in the game here. This is a nice list. Hyundai, Ford, uh, Mercedes, Mazda's even in the game now. They sold eight cars. No, no, sorry, 324 cars. <laughs> oh my goodness. My, my friends at Toyota, they're on the chart at 232 vehicles. Thank you, Toyota, for finally making an EV. Uh, the BZ4X. I've never seen one in the wild, I don't think. But um, and even the ID4, right? Major competitor of the Model Y, only sold eleven thousand vehicles in the U.S. John, Woo. tell you what though, it's cool to look at. You know, first off, there's a lot of people on the chart. A uh, few of these people weren't on the chart the prior portion of the year. But what's really neat is that almost everybody is showing a lot of growth. Like. Uh, you know, Audi e-tron from 2700. Uh, oh, yeah. that's quarterly versus year to date. Oh, never mind. I was year over year, 208% increase. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's nice. Uh, they'll continue to be a niche. Uh, the Chevy Bolt up 226%. Um, ironically, Hyundai is down year over year. I don't know why that is. Um Interesting. Maybe transitioning. That's a good one, though. Don't know. The Mini Cooper. There's a pure EV Mini Cooper, 125% year over year. Polestar, 243% year over year. Tesla Model S, 150% year over year. Uh, Model 3, 67%. Model Y, only 20%. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, buy Tesla. <laughs> People are complaining about the stock market because the stock market has tanked. It's it's taken a major hit. I think Tesla's down 40% this year, but it's just a buying opportunity, right? Um, as I see it. So uh, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Hey, so can we do two more quick uh, battery things since we were talking about them and you know we can knock out all the batteries and then get on to something else? Yeah, let's let's do it. So I found that. So the next article, right below the Model Y, I went out. I found that Federal Reserve article I was talking about, and yeah. uh, let's check it out real fast. And so Federal first Reserve off, Bank of Dallas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They were doing a national review of battery manufacturing, and so when you get a chance, scroll down to the map. Uh, but at the highest level, what this is, the Federal Reserve likes to analyze the U.S. economy. They do reports, so they can you know predict us, predict stuff weather, and understand the industries more. Yeah. And within this report, they chose to focus on battery manufacturing in the U.S. because there's a whole bunch of it coming. And they said there's a battery belt that's developing. And this battery belt is composed of gigafactories. And if you scroll down to that big map, you can see the East Coast or the, the Middle Eastern region, you know, west of the Appalachian, um, lots of battery facilities. There's another map, or I mean, I have the map on screen now. Yeah. Um, operational facilities are marked in red, mm -hmm. and then blue are announcements. So you see Tesla in Texas, and then a whole belt just cruising up through the Midwest, um, Tennessee, Kentucky, 
Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, none, none in Illinois, I'm sad to say. I don't see anything in Illinois, but... Um, you do have Rivian, though. We do, we do. So, I, forgot to, I, I forgot to see what the Rivian stats were. Um, I saw them there, and they're doubling, and they're doubling and tripling. That was one of the companies I saw, their numbers going up. Ooh, 11,600 vehicles for the year from Rivian. I, yeah. But that's, you know, they had zero last year. You know, the they barely got one off the uh, runway in September of last year. So yeah. they're growing. It's, it's, it's good to see. And I, I'm very surprised to see all the Ford Transit vans, too. Um, you know, so it's, so it's just neat to see the batteries. And if you scroll up, there's a nice chart. This chart is a good one. It compares China, the rest of the world. You know, the U.S. is growing. But you can see that big bump in 2021 uh, for EV sales. But you can see that China is dominating EV sales. However, the rest of the world's growing too. So yeah. EVs are growing. And I mean, we know this now. We're on the sixth or seventh, uh, um, sixth or seventh doubling. Now, this document is actually benchmark. And it's, and literally, I have the exact same document as the next article, but it's bigger in terms of numbers, which is funny um, yeah. because yeah. my version is just a little bit newer. And I will I say this is this is really nice. They give you the chart data also and make the chart downloadable. So DallasFed.org. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course. Check out all of our content at cleanpowerhour.com. We uh, we post all our audio and video at that website, cleanpowerhour.com. Give us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way more people can find the content and help us grow the clean energy transition. We're speeding the energy transition here at the Clean Power Hour. Anything else about this story you want to um, touch on, John? Nah, we know we know about the volume. I wanted to show off that map so that everybody could see where these batteries were. Because I think that's a, that's a big thing. So you showed that big swath. And there's a lot of car manufacturing. There's a lot of cheap electricity, a little bit lesser regulation. There's no unions. And that's just where the car places went. They left the north and they went south. But uh, but now there's batteries there. And and you know the next story is really just a tweet from Simon Morse of Battery Intelligence. And I wanted to show off his updated 2031 and 2026 capacities, which are really close to the numbers that you just saw. But they're just you know a touch larger, five percent bigger. And I'm a big fan of this chart because it gives me a lot of hope. Uh, seven gigawatt or seven terawatt hours of manufacturing capacity. Uh, it's the two, you know, you look below each one of those charts. You know, we got 1.6, uh, 1.0 terawatt hours for last year. Five years forward, though, we're going to be up 500%, so 4.7. And then five years after that, already announced is 7.2. And that's pretty neat because uh, 7.2 is a lot of volume. Uh at some point, I had done the math that if all of that volume went toward the earth, it would be like enough to back up all the energy for a day or something like that. Um, and so we, we are going to have the volume of battery manufacturing necessary to make it so that wind and solar could dominate uh, the energy, uh, our energy needs. Now, sure. right now, though, the thing is, most of these batteries are going to go into cars. So it's going to, we're going to have an evolution and we're going to see how it grows going forward. But at a minimum, without a doubt, 
very soon we're going to start seeing a global battery industry that's just going to, I mean, if you look at that bottom chart, it's just about to expand in just huge volumes, growing 100%, 1,000%, 10,000% from wherever it was. And it's, it's, oof, it's, it's going just like we saw in solar panels, just like we saw in wind, you know, all of this growth where it's right now, it's right happening now. Yeah, we're between one and two gigawatt hours globally now, right? And we're going to go to, uh, sorry, 1,000 gigawatt hours. We're going to go to 7.2 thousand by 2030. I look at this and I and I, I see red. Uh, China is still going to be dominating at 67% of cell manufacturing capacity uh, in 2031. And we're going to be at 12.6% or 13%. So I think this is a national security issue. I hope um, the U.S. is is really paying attention, the, the powers that be, um, because the person who has the most batteries wins. Um, it, it, that is a that is a scenario. We're, we're we need a lot of batteries, and uh, you can't electrify your infrastructure without a lot and a lot of batteries. Um, so not to mention step back from climate change, right? That's the ultimate goal. And, um, and then, and then if you're Elon, go to Mars, but, um, first he has to buy Twitter. What did I hear? I heard a reporter on CNET refer to the cyber truck as Twitter on wheels. Um, Elon did did say something about Cybertruck in uh, in the uh, Q3 um, financial results. He says it's coming in 2023. So hopefully, hopefully Ford, my Ford Lightning will get there first. I'd rather have a Ford Lightning with its off the shelf vehicle to grid capacity, but our capabilities. Um, but wouldn't be bad to drive a Cybertruck either. I, they, awesome they branding. Big. I want. I want a. Uh, I want a big logo, a big clean power hour logo on my Cybertruck. Uh, they seem large. Uh, I, I believe I read at some point they were large, and me parking larger cars in a tiny city, challenging. But uh, I, I would like to have you know if we have the opportunity to buy an electric uh, van for our installation crew, there or you go. for our truck for site visits and general work we do just because i mean i do have an electric car for my site visit so we're you know a quarter of the way there but it'd be better to start you know being a solar company driving an electric van is kind of eating walking the walk doing it properly so so i'm i'm paying attention to it i haven't really delved into the details i i assume they're not available but looking at that chart i saw a whole bunch of available e-transit trucks so but maybe uh, maybe there will be one that's available pretty soon as we start looking. Um, yeah, and then so th- and that's you know that's lithium ion battery. You know, lots of stuff coming. The next article is actually about a uh, an approval for a sixty megawatt hour um, long duration battery. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to put this on screen. And yep. but but give us the sound bite. What what sound is this? Yep. What is this project? So it's vanadium flow battery, zinc hybrid. Um, it got a $31 million grant. It's being coupled with a behind the meter solar carport on native land in California. Uh, 
The biggest piece of it, though, is that it's a 60 megawatt hour battery, which I think is the largest uh, flow battery in the United States. And I've only heard of one other larger battery for flows, and that is in um, China. And that one's been coming online for like six years. So it's, it's like, that one's like a 200 or like an 800 megawatt hour battery, but it's not a single install. It's spread around the city. Um, so a 60 megawatt hour vanadium flow battery. It's coming to California. I believe it's EOS systems, EOS. Uh, it's their battery, which you may have interviewed EOS at some point, Tim. Yes, I've run into EOS. Uh, they have a Chicago office. Their headquarters is in, I want to say New Jersey. I thought it was uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, um, but they're somewhere around there. You might be right with Jersey. Though. But uh, so this is this is looking like a real project, though, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's not an IRP, you know, because there have been a few IRPs in California for long duration storage that were won by lithium ion. Because, <laughs> you know, technically, if you think about it, lithium ion, it, it's only duration relative to what you choose it to be. And if you have an inverter, you can make your 100 megawatt hour battery run for 10 hours or 100 hours. You just have to pick your output rate. So lithium ion batteries, they just said, oh, yeah, well, now we're a 10 hour battery. We just adjusted our inverter setting and bam. And so lithium ion won. But this is a real project that's coming. And looks like it's got the money. It looks like it's got the site and it's a big flow battery. So I'm interested in it. Uh, there's lots of things I'm wrong about. And uh, like hy- hydrogen and flow batteries, they're competing in a similar space with lithium ion. And those are two items right now that I have big questions on. I want to be involved in both just because they're cool and I think they have potential. And uh, yeah, I'm watching them. Cool. Well, you got a story for us in PB Magazine. Could we see US solar electricity for $0 per kWh? You got to share a specific graph that's on that page. Apparently, the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> well, some guy named John thinks that. Credit Suisse thinks there's a real solid chance we hit 0.4 cents per kilowatt hour. I went a little further. That's the chart we should look at, and that yeah. little uh, that bottoming out in 2029. But um, four, this cents. Was, uh, four cents. No, no. Four cents. Sub one cent. cents. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Per um, a megawatt, 10 megawatt hours is one cent per kilowatt hour. So single yeah. digit is tenths of a cent. Yeah. So what and this the, chart. The, the, the gray versus the blue on this chart, just explain that to me real quick. All right. So the gray is solar. Um, oh, so the gray is wind. The blue is solar. Gotcha. And what this chart is really saying, though is that when we combine the fact that manufacturers, and you can scroll down and see the next chart, when you combine the fact that solar panel manufacturers are gonna see that solid blue line going full because they get tax credits from the IRA, these people are gonna be selling panels for under 10 cents a watt, or at least their cost is gonna be under 10 cents a watt. First solar, and this is where I come to the zero cent per kilowatt hour, first solar, a couple of years ago in Bloomberg, and I linked to it in this article, said that solar panels for them cost about 20 cents a watt. They're going to get an 18 cent per watt incentive. <laughs> nice. You're laughing. So that means you know what I'm saying. Yes, good. You yeah. got it instantaneously. Oh, holy, how's that going to work out? 
is, I mean, First Solar is not going to sell them for two cents because they don't have to. They're sold out. All they have to do is beat this chart. So maybe the cheapest we'll see First Solar panels is six cents or until they're sold out, eight cents, nine cents, whatever. But this chart plus the IRA tax credits is what this and that analyst from S&P makes them think we might see 0.4 cents per kilowatt hour. And what I said is that, well, on that's their chart is average. It's more of an average, a broad number. So I said, wow, let's be a little more extreme. Let's pretend it's a first solar project. And then let's pretend it's got the domestic content, 10% adder, and the energy community adder. So now we're talking a 50% tax credit, a standard depreciation, which adds another 10% the first year, uh, and then, I don't know, five cent per watt solar panels. And you start looking at what the PTC is. Okay, if you scroll down a tiny bit more, you, we uh, have the Lazards chart. And so I, I grabbed this one too. And they said in the paragraph, uh, the top paragraph that's on the screen, um, the unsubsidized LCOE of large solar uh, for standard modules is three to 4.2 cents. And for first solar, it's uh, 2.8 to 3.7. So if we look at the um, PTC, so the large scale solar projects are going to take the production tax credit. They won't take the 30%. Production tax credit makes better financial sense. But the PTC starts at 2.6 cents. And if you add two 10% adders, it gets up to over 4 cents. If the LCOE of a solar project is... 2.8 2.8 to 4 cents as of right now, then that means you're going to have a effectively a price under zero for hypothetically. I mean, we're there, we're close to it. If you have to really compete, you're going to be able to sign a contract and say it's zero cents per kilowatt hour. And that's just neat. And so that's what I think. That's why I wrote that story. I said, you know, if we look at all these prices, we look at the models and then we look at some extreme cases. And that's really what it is. In some extreme cases, the cost of that electricity effectively could be at zero in the PPA and the owners could still make respectable returns on investment. So that's why I brought that big old headline. Did we see some free solar? Let's let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see the impact of the IRA here. You know, today, as as this chart points out from Credit Suisse, um, American solar panels are averaging around thirty five cents a watt, and and Chinese panels are twenty five cents. But the U.S. is going to dip below the Chinese price. The Chinese price is dipping, is going down to fifteen cents, but we're going to go sub fifteen. Uh, to maybe sub 10 by 2028, 2029. And so this really matters uh, because if you're a developer, you you know, the cost of equipment really matters. The solar panels are maybe 40% of, uh, you know, the equipment costs. And so cheaper is better. I'm there. Cheap is you know, get some decent prices. You want to see some pictures of uh, uh, solar systems that survived hurricanes? 
Yeah, let's skip the Canadian solar uh, story and go to Florida. Um, Florida has been in the news because of Hurricane Ian, which uh, devastated the west coast of Florida around Fort Myers uh, two weeks ago and in late September. I'll put this on screen. Um, and uh, Babcock Ranch has been in the news. I don't know, is this is this about Babcock or something else? Nope. These are commercial rooftops uh, installed by a large contractor, and they had some good pictures, uh, advanced green technologies. I've known that company for, I've known their name for a while. And if you scroll down a bit, they have two or three sites, and they have a, a gallery of images of some damage that the projects took. And they had a, a good quality racking. So if you click, there's a little arrow on the right-hand side, so you can get some zoomed in, in images. And so this is one of their projects. Oh, but definitely click on the arrow there so we can see the actual. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now you can start to see it. That fourth so Some of the panels did get torn off on this rooftop array. Yep. Yep. And so this is South. This is Florida building code. So the wind codes are like 155 yeah. uh, plus. Uh, keep going. Next image. So this is a story in Solar Power World by Kelly Pickerel. Shout out to yes. Kelly. Um, uh, she also has a podcast, Contractor's Corner. So check that out. Uh, wow, nice straight down. Um, yep. I, I'm yeah. I'm curious who makes the uh, the best flat roof racking system for uh, high wind. Is is does panel claw dominate this market too? I mean, probably, probably. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Unirac has some good systems as well. I because you're specifically talking high wind. You know, me as a South Floridian. From 10 years ago, we weren't doing ballasted systems. We didn't Look have at that tiny technology. row space. The row space is, is very, very small. It must be uh must be difficult to build this. Uh I get I got a lot of grief from uh, from our, our field crews when I did five degree tilt systems. I've done two five degree tilt systems. Uh, you know, the 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 less tilt, the less row space. And uh this looks like just like six inches if that and that's what it is it's it's actually six to eight inches for a five degree we regularly do five degree systems up north um yeah and they're tight so it's neat to see you probably had like one module fail and then and it led to a a larger collapse mm -hmm. on that top one yeah but here's this one leading edge of the of the building i mean this is your standard damage it's the leading corner of the building and the leading edge of the modules Mm -hmm. and that's it so that's you know the the stuff i bet and i guarantee you the wind was coming from that direction as well because that's just how it works yeah and this is fort myers fort myers is where the storm hit okay so i mean yeah. like i technically i guess the storm hit a little further north but there was uh fort myers beach was in the news as just being wrecked and like I was in Fort Myers a year or two ago on a vacation and uh, the the street that we were cruising up and down on our bikes and enjoying ourselves on was just totally, totally smashed. So, and this, these projects, if you scroll all the way down, uh, they mention it, I believe in the last paragraph, is it a PV or scroll up a tiny bit? They talk about the racking uh, one paragraph up panel claw. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, panel claw, you know, and, and, you know, speaking of that Babcock facility, I did a little math after I read about it. 
Um, they have a 10 megawatt, 40 megawatt hour battery. I think two of them coupled with two 74 megawatt AC solar plants right there. And both of those plants and the city of Babcock were designed to deal with hurricanes and the whole city stayed up. And when I looked at the battery sizing, I figured they had, they said they have about 2000 houses. So if you think 2000 houses at two KW, that's uh four, 4,000, uh, that's 4,000, uh, or two, four megawatts. Jeez. So the batteries that were there could handle, um, uh, 40, 10 hours times two. So 20 hours of downtime, but they had 74 megawatts in solar. So 74 megs of solar will fill up a 40 megawatt hour battery from 11 AM to 1130 AM. And then bam, they're good for another 20 hours. So they got plenty of solar there and big batteries. I read that the city was designed to flood the streets specifically. The houses are raised up higher than the local roads and the houses and everything is designed to just flush water into the Everglades because they know where they're at. They realize they're on South Florida and Hurricane Lane. So it's interesting. Batteries, man. Batteries are going to be everywhere. Yeah, I'm looking for visiting Babcock Ranch. I'm going to go to Florida sometime this winter and uh, looking forward to visiting that that town. It's a uh, it's a planned community, right? I mean, it was built. Oh yeah, the whole thing all at once to be yep. to be a solar uh, solar community. Um, in the Everglades, it's in a really nice area. Well, isolated area, but it's in Southwest Florida. Uh, and it's really it was built out in the middle of the Everglades. Whoever came up with that idea, more power to them. So, where is the Tybee Island Marine Science Center? We're going to put this on screen here, but uh, you found a a cool um, cool projects of the week, man. Pergola, a solar yeah. pergola. So, Tybee Island, I think South Carolina is where it said, but let me double check. So, this is in uh, Georgia. Pardon me. Okay. I've actually, I think I've actually may have been here before or in the area because I've gone camping on the water down there, but it's a, but it's a cool purpose. It's actually solar plus solar thermal. And the purpose of the plant is to power the building behind it, I guess, which is, or a part of the building uh, yeah. and keep a turtle uh, happy. And the last picture is of said turtle, uh, <laughs> but it's solar PV and solar thermal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's for a turtle turtle facility, and the, and it looks like the pergola is all solar PV, bifacial yeah. PV, and so the solar thermal is somewhere else, or yeah. maybe it's on top of the roof. But they said that was just to keep the water warm for the turtle, and uh, just yeah. and I like the pergola, the big thick wood and everything. It looks nice. Like I I keep believing that people want to install these in their backyards. Uh, I'm gonna get my brother to build one because uh, I just think it's such a gorgeous gorgeous structure. Yeah, my local brewery has a solar pergola, and it's it's super attractive. And most people don't even notice it. Uh, I notice it because I'm a solar professional, and I know what solar yeah. panels look like. But it's just a shade structure, and uh, in the middle of the summer, it's great to have some shade with your beer. I am going to send that solar pergola link to my brother so that he puts it in his backyard because he needs it. He he's got to have some. He's got to get some solar. He's got to get. He's got some big yard space, and, uh, and I'm gonna 
I'm going to slowly nudge him to build it because he's the type that can build it on his own. Uh, then there's another one right below it. There's another link just below the pergola real quick. Uh, this one's from Texas. It's a residential one. And I like that uh, project because it's weird. I guess that's a thatch roof or something. And, uh, oh, it's a green roof, yeah. Yeah. And so I just thought that was cool. It's neat, neat roof. You see these roofs in uh, Norway, uh, a few in Wisconsin, but uh, in, in, in Door County, Wisconsin, there's a roof like this that has goats grazing on top. <laughs> of it. But um, yeah, they solarized their green roof. That's very sweet. Yep. I've, I've heard about somebody recently who has straw for their roof and it's like, oh man, that's so cool. And this is in Texas, you said? Texas. Yes, sir. Wow. Hmm? So green roof in Texas. Texas so is going go. green. I, I saw a story that Texas saved $7 billion with renewable energy this year. That's a whole lot, man. You could do That's a lot a with $7 lot. billion. I, I mean, I could. I could personally. You can't quite go to Mars, but there's a lot of things you could do here on Earth. You could hang out with somebody who goes, who's going to go, who's got a decent chance of going to Mars. I mean, maybe that's the last image. Maybe that's yeah. our last. Uh, I think we'll wrap up with the uh, the photo of Starship. <clears throat> yeah. On the. Uh... This one was from this morning. So this was the last thing I put on the document because as it this when I saw it sitting there, maybe it wasn't from this morning, but it was the last one I saw when I was looking. Through yeah, my it's Twitter been floating around. Um, fully stacked. Uh, Starship on the pad at Boca Chica. Look at that thing. There's a giant, and what are there, 32 rockets in the bottom layer, in the bottom one? 32 or 33 rocket heads? Yeah, something like that. Um, Raptors, is that what the engine is? Raptors, I think they're called Raptors, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. And it's neat. This ship is going to land on that circle thing right there. Right. Not the ship, sorry. The bottom half. The, the ship is going to do. The yeah, booster the, is going to land. The booster is going to take off and then reland and get caught uh, by the grid fins with the chopsticks. Um, yeah, oh. yeah. Looking forward. To, he's they're 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 aiming for a launch in 2023. Um, power tool. Huh? We, we will see. We'll yep. <clears> see. <throat> All right, Tim. There's a lot of solar. There's a lot of batteries today. We talked about a lot of batteries. There was a lot of batteries in EVs, but that's great because that is a big part of the energy transition. And um, it's a both end. We need renewable energy and we need energy storage and electrification of transportation. Transportation is about 40% of our emissions. And uh, so it's a big, it's a big deal. There weren't any articles. Any articles today on uh, solar panel technology, Tim? None. Uh, we'll make up for that next week when when I uh, when I broadcast live from Hellion's factory in Minnesota. Hopefully, uh, cool. like if, if I can arrange to do that, but uh, we'll yeah. see. see what they let you take. They probably won't let you take any cool pictures because you know deep research, science, technology. But but neat. So tell us how. Tell us about it. Well, we'll see. They. Uh, they're going to have a bunch of journalists there. So 
Well, um, how can our listeners find you, Mr. John Weaver? Uh, well, if you want to uh, have a beer downtown in Cambridge, you can always uh, come to One Broadway, the CIC uh, co-working space. That's where I'm uh, based most days now. Um, or you can come to our website, commercialsolarguy.com, where we're going to do some updating, get some get some extra pages on there, talk about our services. And then uh, Twitter, Solar and Mass, and LinkedIn, John Fitzgerald Weaver. All those different places you can uh, find us poking around. How big is the CIC? What, is, how, what does that facility look like? Uh, it's just a standard building. I'm in it right now. It's, uh, it's at least 17 floors. And uh, it's a street corner and it's got it's a nice building. Uh, it's connected to another building over here, which I don't know anything about. It's got a little supermarket downstairs where I can get hot food. Uh, so it's uh, and relatively healthy. So it's just a nice big structure. And the CIC is uh, at one point it was associated with MIT to help uh, MIT students launch businesses. And so they have this co-working place that's associated with them so that Lots of small business people can work there. And it's, it's good for me because we have the main office down in New Bedford. and But this lets me get out of my apartment and just get in a place and feel more professional during the daytime. Absolutely. Well, you can check out all of our content at cleanpowerhour.com. That's where you can reach me, Tim Montague. And please give us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of that helps others find the show and find this content. We are speeding the energy transition, one solar project and one podcast at a time. I wanna thank John Weaver for being here week in, week out, every Thursday, noon Eastern, 11 Central, 10 Mountain, nine Pacific. So check it out. And with that, let's grow solar and storage. I'm Tim Montague, take care, John. The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over 6 gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more.